Hey, welcome back to the One to One podcast with your priest on a mission, Father Dan Leary. I'm your host, Kevin Wells. Father Dan, good to see you. Hey, great to be with you, folks. God bless you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. So, so Father, I want to tell you right off the bat, we're going to get into the podcast. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed this morning. I'm coming off my first ever talk on Father Al Schwartz. I was invited to a prayer breakfast over in uh, St. Michael's the Archangel, Father Flumes in Baden. And uh, it was awesome. So I unpacked the life of Father Al and people were just kind of like, I, I, I can't believe this guy. He, he's, he's remarkable. So a bunch of people, and this was heartening to me, a bunch of people came out afterwards and said, hey, Kevin, how do we sponsor a sister? And, and a woman came in and said, oh, don't worry. All the sisters are sponsored. I've already sponsored a sister. And I said, whoa, whoa, we're sponsoring 12 sisters in Chalco and Guadalajara but we need 50 sponsors for each sister because they have 50 kids in the family. So please, guys, on worldvillages.org, you're going to see 12 pictures of beautiful sisters in Guadalajara and Chalco, and they need 50 sponsors each. So although all 12 have received sponsors, keep it rolling, man. We can do this. Let's get them all filled. It's kind of a dream of ours, but I think we can do it. So with that said, Father, I just want to clear up there and and, and Father Al, the, the, the secret's out. Now Now people are starting to learn about him in, in Maryland and D.C. We're going to keep this momentum going. That's great. So, so Father, with that said, I um, I want to jump right in. I, uh, I love divine mercy, and I know you do as well. So, so just for the viewer right now, tell them why this message is important and a little bit about Faustina if, if folks don't know really who she is. Well, tying it back into Father Al, I mean, a lot of what Father Al really did was expressing divine mercy. I think, unfortunately, we've kind of identified divine mercy as a spiritual reality, but it's a corporal reality, too, where you're serving the poor, where you're, you know, you're clothing the naked, where you're visiting the sick. And so divine mercy really was was the life that he lived. Secondly, we realize that in this culture that we live in, in this time, that we really need God's mercy. You know, having read Faustina's diary and really explaining that the sisters are actually all reading the Faustina diary now in English or in Spanish. And so they're really digesting what it is and how to be merciful to the children who have come in with these wounds, you know, and, 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 and trying to convert. I gave a talk to the sisters and said, let's convert the wounds of the kids to rivers of grace and, and, and healing to their families or to others. So Divine Mercy is, is alive here. Last Sunday we had uh, Adoration, the Blessed Sacrament. It was really beautiful. We had it um, in four places on campus. And so the girls came. It's funny, one of the sisters had told the girls to go to confession on Divine Mercy. Like, thank God it was only one to get the indulgence. And I come out and there's 50 girls waiting in confession. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? It was 7.30 in the morning. So I just said, give me time. Let's just trust the divine mercy is not just three o'clock or today. Give me a week and I'll knock all of your confessions out. And that, it calmed them. But, you know, you get a feisty second year kid that expects to go to confession. like, And then they start getting a little emotionally like, Oh man, I don't want to break any hearts here. <laughs> right, right, Father, that's great. I, I, uh, divine mercy. These, 
these uh, these readings in these gospels lately, they seem to just pop. And I know they pop for you all the time. And a few a few have popped for me. So in last week's Divine Mercy first reading, not even the gospel, but the first reading, the apostles were just on fire. It's, it's the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And this term kept coming up. It was they were of one heart and mind. And what came to me was, you've been there for a while now, Father, I don't know, nine or ten months. And the more we're sort of discussing your ministry down there, your mission down there, that that sense of one heart and one mind seems to really be synthesizing in Guadalajara and in Chalco. Do you, do you sense this? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. And, and that's a great connection because what's happening is when a, when a child arrives, there's been a disconnect with the one heart, with the one mind, and sometimes with their, their, the temple of their body. And so, you know, this has been a, um, a restructuring, a rebuilding, a, a reuniting of those three dynamics in, in each child. And of course, when one child is complete or whole or unified, whatever the word is, in communion with herself, then the body of Christ grows. And so what's happening is I really see through confession, through adoration. I mean, look, they're high school kids. They got their issues. They got their ups and downs. I'm not talking about, you know, we're not, we're not living uh, the, the heavenly realm here. But I do see that there's a deeper communion that exists. And I think it's, it's post-Easter grace. And I also think in, in my terms, it's really just the reality of this is what a family is supposed to be. Families living one heart, one mind, and, and um, you know, really, really interiorly healing with the grace of God so that they can unite to the other people in their families. There's just too much brokenness. Yeah, yeah, that, it's that one heartbeat that you're working for, and, and it's really coming together. You know, you talk about the brokenness, and again, I'm going to just dive right back into, into really this weekend's uh, gospel and <laughs> And I and it Jesus comes into the upper room and the apostles don't see Jesus. They see what they think is a ghost. Unpack this for us. Well, thanks for telling me, Wells, since I'm not ready. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that what what's happening in this gospel, at least the way I initially see it, is that, um, you know, when Christ appears <clears throat> to the to the apostles, he's a ghost. He's a phantom. Um, I, I think so many of the kids came in Catholic, but God was a ghost. God was distant. And if it's the gospel I'm thinking about where Jesus eats the filet of fish or the sandwich, um, you know, he becomes real in that moment. And I think what I see here actually in the work is that Christ becomes real. He isn't just this devotion or this photo or this cultural Catholic identity which we know is sort of the, what we expect as Catholics for maybe a country like Mexico, which is 80, 90% Catholic. What really happens is through the work of the sisters, Christ becomes real. He becomes really, it, it, you know, you put flesh on the guy. And that's really what my goal is, is to say, this Jesus isn't this burden, but he's a, he's, he's a historical reality of God in your life that's reaching into your pain and pulling you out of the doubt. He's pulling you out. And that's the, that's the tension that many of the kids are having. It's like, if he's real, then why did this happen? Or if he's real, what's going to happen in the future? 
So I'm really trying to say, look, the guy's with you. Jesus is with you. But sometimes you got to have that come to Jesus meeting with Jesus and say, why did this happen? Why did my father leave? Why did my mother die? Um, I mean, it's some rough stuff here. Father, you said you didn't prepare for that answer, but it, it seems to me you spent three or four weeks on it. So <laughs> you, you want, you want well, I pray. Get over it. I pray. <laughs> Father, so I'm going to put you on the spot again. Give me an example. So you explain flesh on a ghost and how you try and do it for the kids. Give me an example of how you know these kids are starting to see bit by bit that flesh start to attach itself. Well, I, I think there's a couple, you know, the girls are starting to visit the Blessed Sacrament more. There's a chapel, two chapels in every building, more or less, one for the sisters, but the kids have access to it, and one upstairs on the seventh floor. And so the kids are starting to visit the Blessed Sacrament. Also, there's they they are starting to, to realize that the divisions in their heart, and I'm talking strongly to them because I don't I, I have no other option, is to to help them realize that. The, the, the wounds in their heart were not caused by God, but, the, but, but the Lord wants to heal them, right? And they just don't want to repeat the cycle, man. I'd like quit. Don't repeat the vicious cycle of poverty that you came from. Don't. Um, and so they're getting the message. Uh, I had a healing night the other night with the fifth year girls. I'm doing five of them, 100 each. And I spoke to them as a father. And I'm like, look, man, like, you know, I've never yelled at you, but you guys got to go out and forgive other people. It's time. They're leaving here in three months. And you have to, and I said, you got to believe in yourselves. I cannot believe in you. I don't said, because so many of them have been now regular confession, adoration, not that they weren't before, but it's more regular with the consistent spiritual father that at least knows them by face. Can't remember all their, their stories. And I said, you got to start to believe in yourselves enough of this nonsense. And, you know, I was strong and they got it. And I was like, look, you, you want to be a religious sister? Great. You want to be married? I said, you better bring that cat back so I can meet him because he's got to, he's got to pass my test. Right. And they all started giggling. I said, yeah, I don't want you to marry some loser. I want you to marry somebody that's going to bring you to heaven. And they get it. Like they get that terminology because that's what they've been taught. But, you know, you can't marry somebody that doesn't have that language. It, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, Father, that, that's what you just articulated, I think, is the key missing ingredient today. It's a spiritual father that speaks boldly. Uh, they were talking about Peter a few weeks ago um, in, in the, I think it was the first reading. Peter was very bold when he told uh, the Jews, hey, look, you nailed him to a cross. I cannot deny this. I'm going to keep on preaching. You can shut me down, but I'm going to keep going. You were very bold with these girls, and it sunk in. It, it hit their heart. It, it, I guess that component of boldness for you as a spiritual father is, is vital down there. Well, I think I've earned it, to be honest. I didn't have it at first because of many things on their end and my language and all that, but I think I've earned it, and I've told them I've earned it. I've earned to speak the truth to you, not that I needed to, but as a spiritual father, I speak, I said, I can speak this way because I've been with you nine, 10 months and you've seen what I've tried to do and how I've tried to help you. So I can do that. And that's been liberating for many of them. 
Uh, you know what? That's that's so succinct and so right. You've earned it. And and also you you, you shared with me, and I think you brought a few uh, audio visuals with with you today. They showed an expression of their great love for you on Easter. <laughs> you having earned it in their hearts, they wanted to repay it a little bit. Share share with what happened. Yeah. So. Uh, folks, every Easter and Christmas, all of the classes, there's five classes, they do a synchronized dance, but it's all of the girls in the class. So the younger girls, this is what they, this is what they wore. So I've got, turn this guy around. I had 800 kids wearing this and none of this, none of this folks is, is like purchased. This is the old Lala milk uh, containers. So that's what they do. They sew them together. And that was one example. So they took their blouse, they put a blue shirt underneath it, and then they tied it in the, in the middle. And then they put a buckle on it made out of the rest of the la la thing. This is the second thing. This thing's great folks. Look at this. This is a, a box that has an Easter bunny on it, but then you open it and inside are all the spiritual prayer program, spiritual sacrifices that the girls made for me. They put them in these little stars, right? And you open it, it's like three Our Fathers. But more than that, God bless them, they put in the chocolate, okay? So they six to 10 girls, but many of them gave these to me. And they put their little name on it and they say, Father, pray for me when you eat that chocolate. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, you know, I, I joke a lot about chocolate as just because they all love it. And I say to them all the time, you know, like, give me your pain in this hand, give me chocolate in the other, and we got it. And so these girls presented this to me. They get permission to do this. And so I have about 10 of these boxes of, of spiritual, it's like a spiritual bouquet with a survival packet of chocolate. And it's really cute. They all laugh. Absolutely tremendous, yeah. tremendous, Father. Thanks for sharing that. It is, you know, they want to, they want to, they want their chaplain to to bring the heat. Give me your sacrifices, but they also want their chaplain to bring the joy. Give me your stinking chocolate. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. It's Lent. Give it to me. So I, I love that. I love they're cracking up and giggling. But but I I also love what sisters have told me where you're leading them. I don't know when you did this, but apparently you're getting more and more girls and boys who are considering vocations. Yeah. So what's going on? I, I, are you leading talks, retreats, or what's happening with that? Yeah, well, we started these, we're doing these retreats, which is much more, let's say, intense. So I do a daily mass at 615 and then a 715 mass at, for the fifth year girls who are discerning vocations. And from that group, we had a, we had we're developing these retreats, these five to eight hour retreats, which is really beautiful. I give a talk, they, they write in their journal, um, then the sister gives a talk and they write again. They had dinner, which was key, they love that. And then, and then they have another, and a holy hour, and then, but they break into small groups. So we had, we had 50 girls, 60 girls in the older group, and then 150 in the, in the fourth year. And um, there's many reasons why the numbers are such so different. But the point is, the girls are really starting to discern vocations. And we're hoping we have 15 to 20 girls enter 
to really develop because as the girls come in, we expand to the poor. You know, it's not a numbers game. You want holiness, but at the same time, every sister represents 50 kids. And many of those kids have not been baptized first communion. So in that, I've faced the biggest spiritual battle in my priesthood, just trying to, to help them not feel the burden, you know, and, and fear. Father, it, it would also seem that with these girls that, have, as we discussed, have, have come in with so many wounds, that as they're being led to healing by the spiritual father, by the sisters, by prayer, by the Eucharist, that once that they get that idea, you know what, I, I actually think I could be a priest. I would actually think I'd like to join the sisters of Mary. It's that Lazarus type feeling. I was dead. Jesus came in. Father Dan sort of showed me. I saw it through the witness of the sisters. I, I am filled now, and I want to become a religious sister. And I think this is vital today, and, and I don't want to blow sunshine, but so many teens today, the very people you're working with, they're dropping out of churches. The Catholic church, Protestant churches, they're done. In a sense, you're, you're almost acting as Father Al, where you're picking up these orphans and saying, we need your help now. There's value in you. You are God's chosen one. You were poor, but you can go in. You were broken. You can go in and you can become a priest. You can become a sister. So in a sense, it, you, you're sort of rebuilding uh, the church out of from these kids. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny that I you bring that up because last week I, I gave a half day retreat to the sisters. And I, and I really mean this. I said to them, honestly, I don't know another religious community that effectively uses their wounds of a religious, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, to build up the children. So, you know, I came from a family that had a lot of addictions and I tell them, I tell the sisters all that and I give them the freedom to understand that I'm, that God is using that to help them heal and to help the kids heal because people will come and say, yeah, my father was an alcoholic, like your father. All of a sudden we've got a connection so I, I honestly, I, I don't know another community and I'm not just highlighting the sisters, but in no way do I know of a sister that walks with 40, 50 kids, sees them every day. Those kids suffer and she can say, I can identify with you. I get you. I too didn't have a father or a mother or my mother died when I was eight or I lived in, a, in an area where there were drugs. Like, it, it's so obvious. Um, and what's happening is the sisters are, are using their life experiences to, to unite with the kids and to help them heal. It's actually a very beautiful dynamic because I think they see it active in me at first. And now they're seeing the effect on their lives. And in effect, they're passing that on to their kids because, you know, every family has its own struggles. And certainly the Leary's weren't as holy as, as we presented ourselves. <laughs> nor the wells, nor the wells. I'm sure. Yeah, especially me at the top. So, Father, you, you explain it well. And, and by the way, I got to say this. The sisters are paid zero dollars and zero cents every day of their lives. So this is an act of sacrificial love. As Sister, as sister Margie said, uh, our time is like Magdalene's perfume. It is precious for us. We give them all that we are and all that we have. They they die. They pour out themselves to, to help these kids. And Father, I want to end here. 
So a priest's identity, I've always thought, maybe I'm wrong, is number one, to save souls. And number two, obviously, because you have the hands of a priest, it's to administer the sacraments. So, so really, not only are you working at saving souls, but, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Father, but you're working at rebuilding the church and by sending out Catholic missionaries everywhere. That is, where does that fit in? Just, just, just busting kids out throughout the world. Well, last week, I think it was um, the experience with or Thomas, whenever, or it's this week, I can't remember, but you had brought that up earlier. Um, you know, the goal is that they become a Thomas, a St. Thomas, because they come here and here they encounter Christ. Christ is alive here because the sisters feed them. The children are loved here. They get little candies and all that stuff. So there's a flesh here. But the idea is that then Thomas went out, St. Thomas, and he evangelized. The man of doubt becomes the man of determination and faith. And, the, and the, the idea actually of the sisters, and I agree, is that these kids that enter with the doubts for many reasons, now become the missionaries to evangelize their families. And so in effect, what you're doing is you're building up the church. You know, it's hard to describe, Kevin and folks, because you, know, you have these mountainous areas. You can have villages or little villages where you know, there's a hundred families and they farm there and they might have a chapel. But as you can imagine, there isn't a, a full-time priest there. And maybe the priest goes once in a while. But these kids sort of become what are called like these lay uh, ministers in the community. And maybe they sing in the choir. Maybe they're the ones that open the church. Maybe they're the ones with their families that, that are the ones that go to church. Um, that's the idea. And so they convert from doubt to to being instruments of grace. No more important thing in the world right now than what you just said. Correct. No more important thing. Getting kids into communities that starve for them and do not even know it. So thank you, Father. Uh, yeah. So as we go forward, Father, you know, on, onward to Pentecost, the readings and the gospels up and skipping ahead, they're so rich, they're so choice. So that's what we're going to dig dig into deeper as we go forward, uh, which I think it won't be a problem with you. So, Father, uh, anything else to add before we leave us out with a blessing? No, I I just think, folks, just just like don't let the small stuff bother you. Don't let the little stuff suffocate you. You know, you, you know, I, I just envision, you know, the experience of Thomas and everyone's like, where were you, Thomas? You didn't get the memo. And why are you like this? And then Thomas is like, oh, I don't believe. And I was like, huh. Uh, just, just don't let it. Like every moment is a moment of faith. It's just up to you. And even though Thomas was out or whatever, he was, he was out socializing. He didn't get it, but he becomes a man of faith. All of you have to become people of faith. It's time. It's time. Uh, that's, that's the mission of our life. So anyway, that's, that's really my closing message is, because that's what I want the kids to become. And, and really what I'm doing is I'm giving the same message to you folks I'm giving to the kids, but I'm, I'm not taking my foot off the throttle because I don't have time. You're asking me to give a spiritual talk and something for you guys to chew on. I'm good to do that. You know, you can take care of all the in-house sponsoring the sister thing. I love it. It's great. It's needed. 
You're keeping kids off the street. The sisters went out and recruited. They told me yesterday, and they, they went to a town called Jalisco. Two boys, two sets of boys, both orphans. One lives with a neighbor, and the boys go out every day and scavenge in the garbage dump because the neighbor is poor. I mean, it, it's just life. It's just life in a poor country where this thing called COVID has suffocated their opportunity to survive. There's, there's girls here that tell me like, yeah, we didn't have any food. There's like no food. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to eat yesterday's leftovers. It's no food. So I just have to encourage you folks, like don't get sucked into the nonsense of life is so hard. Yes, it's hard, but it's not impossible. And you've got food and you've got water and you're not getting hurt. So come on. <laughs> Thanks for the perspective, Father. I want you to lead us out in a blessing. And God bless you, folks. Have a week full of joy and hope and holiness. And may Almighty God bless you, folks. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace. Peace.